1: All right, let's get to these phone lines and Teresa's first. Good morning, Teresa.
0: Good morning,
2: Bob. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I've learned so much from you in my garden and uh, my vegetables. And when people compliment me on them, I I tell them I learned it from Bob (laughs) University.
1: Well, you're mighty kind. It's my pleasure.
2: Well, thank you very much. I haven't uh, planted cabbage in many years because of the cabbage mowers. And this year we wanted to get some cabbage. So, how can I prevent cabbage borers?
1: Well, I presume you're talking about the things that eat the holes kind of down into the center of the head of cabbage? Yes, sir. Um, BT, Bacillus thuringiensis, will do, will stop them totally. You'll have to make two or three sprayings, but it's natural, it's organic, it won't have. Affect your ability to eat it or make sauerkraut or anything else so uh just it, and it comes in several different under several different names but basically any of the bt bacillus thuringiensis products will totally stop that problem for you
3: okay that'd be great
1: now you're so getting a to... little late to plant cabbage so if you're going to plant cabbage do it yesterday i mean do it immediately
2: oh yeah no we've done it uh we did it several months ago
1: okay very good <laughs>
2: And uh, but I hadn't I hadn't seen any cabbage borers yet, but I just want to be ready for them.
1: Well, don't wait. Yeah, don't wait for them to show up. Go ahead and spray. I. I you know I made the mistake in my uh uh dyno, my dino kale out there I thought oh I'll spray when I see them well shoot they came and uh, they started shredding the leaves before I realized they were even out there so this is one place that uh, I, and I wouldn't spray the whole garden I'd only spray the area where you get their actually more commonly called cabbage loopers but uh, broccoli cauliflower cabbage kale chard any of those things uh, give a little shot of BT now
2: okay all right great. Uh, my next question is about irises. I transplanted some irises from my parents' house before we sold them, and the first year they just bloomed beautifully, but they have been lacking ever since. So, what am I not doing? Am I not? I mean, I, I've been putting compost on them
4: mm-hmm. and
2: fertilizing them, but they haven't really been blooming.
1: And how much sun? Uh,
2: well, they are under a tree, uh, but the tree is not very big. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think that they get quite a bit of sun and and shade, that kind oh. of half
1: and half. Get out, get out and look carefully and see because they really don't want any shade. They want full, brilliant sun. And, oh, really? Yeah, and don't worry about compost. You you want that rhizome, which is what the iris grows from and blooms from. You want that right on the surface of the ground. And irises are one plant that I would never mulch. And uh, fertilizing is okay. great, um, but but to really get quality blooms uh you you if they're only going to get part sun it needs to be that blazing afternoon sun from noon till, you know, 6 or 7 or whatever. Uh, if they're growing uh, well but not blooming, it's almost certainly not enough sun.
2: Okay, and that's probably what it is. Okay.
1: Now, I'm with you. I believe in protecting heirloom varieties and some that may have a little bit of sentimental value, but if you decide to plant more iris, they have really come out just really in the past 3 or 4 years. Uh, they've come out with some what they call reblooming iris. My business partner has some gorgeous iris in her flower beds, and hers blooms several times a year, sometimes as many as four or five times through the year, instead of just all the flowers at once in the spring and then mo- no more. So just look for that little deal on the thing that says reblooming, and there's some incredible new colors in iris out there if you plant more of them.
2: All right, oh, I appreciate that, and. Um... The guy that answers your phone? Yeah. He's
1: funny. <laughs> <laughs> he's smart, too. Chris has a he, he has an educated sense of humor, and you should be complimented because he, he only teases people that sound like they have a good sense of humor. So, no, Chris, Chris is absolutely great, and he's also technically extremely competent. So, uh, always glad to see him in here. He doesn't do the fishing right. songs that Don does, but let's just say he does a lot of things extremely well i appreciate it thank you very much you're sure welcome teresa i have appreciate the call this morning you do the same
2: thank Bye. you.
1: bye-bye all right let's see here billy's up next good morning billy good morning dr webster how uh I... i'm sorry go right ahead go right ahead
5: okay what is the shelf life on the medina liquid products do you have any idea yeah.
1: Oh, 10 years, 20 years. Um, Great. If if they've gotten extremely hot, they may develop a little bit more aromatic quality, shall we say. But uh, since Medina products do not actually contain live microbes, they only contain the materials which support the live microbes, uh, they don't really go bad, per se, as long as they stay... uh, you know like sad I wouldn't want them sitting out in a shed that got up to 125 degrees but uh they they have a very long shelf life.
5: Okay. Well, uh, I was recently cleaning out and I found some 5 gallon buckets I had of some of the soil activator and the to grow. They were still sealed and everything.
1: Yeah. Just uh, just shake them uh, thoroughly and um you know because they do have some of the dry humates and things don't go into uh, solution. They just go into suspension. So you might need to flip those containers upside down, leave them for a day, then turn them right side up and just oh, okay. um, just really agitate them well to get things fully mixed. But uh, as far as uh, efficacy, they're still going to do the job for you.
5: Excellent. Uh, and I was also thinking about building, oh, I got this one handyman magazine or whatever and they had some of these four by eight planters and everything that sit up a whole lot higher mm-hmm. uh probably three and a half foot up i thought well that'd be better than bending over all the time <laughs> but the, the yeah the question is they also had a self water that you could build and put in the bottom and i was a little leery I,
1: i'd be very don't leery
5: work all that well okay
1: they don't they don't okay. work that well at all the problem is uh you know, is is just the things tend to rot out so quickly, um, and I, you know, I'm I'm really hoping that one of these days I'll be able to tell you a good retail source to buy this eco vantage wood that I just built my home greenhouse out of. But you know, treated wood, you don't really want to use treated wood for gardening. Cedar rots out faster than pine. If I were going to think about doing that, I probably would arrange some sort of liner or something like that with some holes in the bottom. I mean, I, I love the idea, but I hate to build something and two years later it's rotting out, and that's, that's the problem with so much stuff. If I were going to do it, I probably would be building it out of Trex, which is the synthetic okay. wood, doesn't give off any... You know, harmful gases or chemicals or anything, and has a much much longer shelf life. Uh, you can buy trucks a number of places. I know at Lowe's, you can actually order two by fours or two by sixes out of it. That's always been the big knock is that oh, okay. uh, all they had was deck wood. But uh, and yeah. I I found and I've I've talked to Lowe's about it, and they will get you bigger dimensional lumber. But to build that out of something like that, you're looking at something that's going to last a lifetime, and like you say, it's going to going to really reduce the back issues of bending over constantly oh, as most yeah. of us do with our with our gardening
5: exactly well now i don't need to fill that whole thing full of soil do i
1: only fill as much as you want to have a good root system okay. <laughs> it, okay. it you would be better to fill the whole thing if you want to you know put just uh you know a thin layer of gravel on the bottom or something just so maybe it drains a little bit better But, uh, you know, the roots, the plant's no better than its roots, and the roots are no better than the soil it's growing in. And um, you just uh – you know, we and and I'm I'm making fun a little bit here, but uh a lot of us complain that, oh God, I live in the hill country and I only have two inches of soil, I just can't grow anything. But that's what you're talking about creating in your beds if you fill the bottom two thirds of with rock or anything. You're just kinda creating the same problem you'd have if you lived on a limestone hill out in the in the hill country. Now you don't have to buy fancy soil or you know spend a lot of money i i certainly wouldn't build a big planter like that and then fill it with uh bags of potting soil i'd go somewhere like stone and soil depot and i get some of their very basic landscape mix then i probably add a little bit of extra compost to it but no i'd i'd fill them with you know at least 95 percent soil but it doesn't have to be uh the most expensive soil out there and if you've got decent garden soil just you know Get it out of a a corner of the yard or where you can dig up some good soil. Just add some compost and fertilizer to it. Understand that it may have a few weed seeds in it, but uh, you're you're on the right track. But uh, I, I sure would make them mainly soil.
5: Oh, we'll definitely go bulk, and uh, I've got a skid steer loader, so that would not be a problem <laughs> filling those.
1: The difference in the <laughs> men and the boys is the price of the toys. I love I love skid steers. <laughs>
5: Yes, i don't know
1: i i don't know how anybody gets along without one i don't either i don't either it's uh you know skid steer and and in the retail business man i don't know how we lived without a forklift there there there's just a lot of things that uh and and as as i've gotten older and i tell myself it's because i have less time and not because i'm not capable because I still couldn't think I can do anything I could do twenty years ago. But <laughs> let me tell you, if a machine can do the work and do it faster, I'm all for it.
5: You got it. All right, sir. Well I sure appreciate it. Thank you very much.
1: You're sure welcome. And you have a great weekend. Right. Thanks, Philip. You too. All Thanks. Bye. All right. Back to gardening, back to the phone lines. We're going to talk to Jim and Beverly and then you. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Bob. Morning.
0: Where is your nursery located?
1: Our nursery is called Shades of Green. We've been sitting for 38 years over on Sunset Road, which runs between uh, Jones-Maltzberger and then past Broadway up to New Bromfels. We're, oh, like two blocks off of uh, uh, 281. We're about halfway between Broadway and Jones-Maltzberger on Sunset Road. Okay. If, you're, if you're coming south on 281, there's actually a Sunset Road exit. Uh, if you go in north, you get off on the jones Maltzburger exit and go up Jones-Maltzberger a couple of blocks and take a ride on Sunset. Really pretty easy to find.
4: Okay.
5: Thank you. Oh, phone number?
1: Uh, 210-824-3772. Thank you very much. And we're there 9 to 5 Monday through Saturday and 10 till 4 on Sundays. Okay. Anything I, else I can help you with?
5: That'll be it for now.
1: Well, come over and see us. We'll look forward to seeing you. If you're coming to the seminars, um, we have uh, a, a great neighbors across the street, uh, LASIK uh, Focal Vision, I believe they call it, and uh, they let us use their parking lot. We have a great doggy daycare called Kara's next door to us. They let us park behind their buildings and sometimes it gets a little crowded. But we've got a pretty good-sized parking lot. But if it fills up, they're close-by places it'll work just as well so hey we'll look forward to seeing you jim i appreciate the call okay bob thank you thank you sir bye, bye. beverly's next good morning beverly good morning how are you this morning i'm just absolutely great it's getting closer to spring every day i'm looking at the weather channel and there's a big <laughs> snowstorm coming down and i sure am glad we live in south texas <laughs>
3: uh well me too <laughs> it makes a
1: difference yes it does I-
3: I have a question about uh, exposing the root flares of trees. Yeah, and okay, I've got. Unfortunately, I hate to admit it, but uh, fruit trees, Mm -hmm. uh, all of them, need their roots root flare exposed. Right. And uh, is it okay to do that while they're blooming? Oh
1: yeah. Yeah, do okay. it just any time you can. I mean, the improvement in the tree starts the day you get the root, uh, the soil away from that lower part of the trunk yeah. and the roots where they're flaring out. So, um, you know, my fruit trees are branched fairly low down, so it's not going to be mm-hmm. quite as easy. But, uh, yeah, the fact that they're in flower won't make any difference at all.
3: Okay. And to remove, well, i let's see i've got a pear tree and i did start doing that and i Mm -hmm. see i've got a girdling root yeah and um i know you know dr garrett says to um remove that but Uh oh that's scary
1: (laughs) yeah and it's just just just, a a hammer and a uh uh you know a wood chisel sharp wood chisel oh on your pear tree it's probably not going to be a big deal, and um, talking to our arborist friends, they say mm-hmm. you have to be very careful on some of the bigger shade trees, because occasionally there is so much pressure that that girdling root, when you cut the two ends of it, it'll actually come flying off. It'll pop out and, you know, conky oh. in the head if you're not careful. But on a pear tree, I okay. don't think it's that much of an issue.
3: Okay. Well, um, you know, I see this root and I think, oh, I shouldn't leave, or I should leave it. I don't want to cut it, but yeah. I understand the reasoning behind well, it. Well, <laughs>
1: it's, you know, do you pear trees are one of those fruit trees that can live 80 or 100 years, and the reason they frequently oh. don't is because of girdling roots and burying them and things like that. So mm-hmm. if it were a 10-year-old peach tree, I'd tell you, you know, you're not going to extend the life of that tree that much. Pear tree, right. if it's a good pear, uh, I think it's, probably a you know a good thing to do
3: mm-hmm. okay and to mulch the you know around the tree mm-hmm. I know I shouldn't get mulch up on the trunk right or stay stay a stay foot down. back
1: or so leave, leave the, the roots foot. exposed in the lower trunk but just out over as much of the root zone as you can apply mulch you're going to conserve right. water you can improve the soil mulches are, are great great things
3: right and now switching over to pomegranate, okay, How can you tell when a pomegranate is ripe?
1: <laughs> <laughs> usually, that little blossom end will uh-huh. fully open up. Uh, usually the the outer I almost want to call it a rind because it's pretty tough. Um, yes. it will also begin to change colors usually to okay. sort of a yellow orange color instead of the usual green. And frequently, it may begin to split a little bit. Now, most of the time uh, when they split prematurely, it's because they've stayed a little bit too dry and then gotten an excessive amount of moisture. But um, wow. I usually just kind of look at that blossom end where the flower was, and when you can start seeing the little, you know, pinkish kernels in there, um, you'll know it's getting close to ripe.
3: Okay. <laughs> Well, I keep, you know, I'll pick one and and check it out. And no, not quite. Yeah, <laughs> well, kind of thing, you know, <laughs> and you
1: can always juice them if they aren't fully ripened. They still have a lot of good qualities, even if the juice is a little bit tart. But uh, it, it's definitely yeah, a, it a tart. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a bit of an acquired taste. But uh, they're they're just an awful lot of good things in there. And if if you are able to let them ripen, the other way you can tell they're getting ripe is if the birds start going after them but uh oh, uh-huh. yeah they they can be tasty <laughs> they and they it's kind of like uh, uh many peaches and other things when the raccoons uh show up and steal all of them you know you should have picked them
3: that's right okay well thank you so much for your information
1: always a pleasure
3: i certainly you, appreciate all your advice <laughs>
1: it's my pleasure you get out and have a great weekend beverly thanks for the I call will. thank you <laughs> yeah. bye-bye okay mike's turn give one a mic Good morning. How's it going today? It's going very well, and uh, it's going to be daylight out there. Going to be a little bit of a foggy morning, but it's going to be a great day in the garden, or any other reason to be outside.
0: There you go. Nothing wrong with that. Yes, sir. Say, I, ha- I have a question. You know, last year with all that terrible rain we had, the crepe myrtles just <laughs> just reacted as if you put you know defoliant all over them. Mm -hmm. But in years past, basically later on in the summer, the the, the leaves and things become mottled. Of course, you get the aphid drip and everything else. Is there anything that can be done early on to kind of prevent any of that or, well, or at least mitigate it?
1: I would bet you that your crepe myrtles are buried too deeply. Beverly was just talking about exposing the root flare on fruit trees. I have to say that of all the different shrubs and trees that I see and deal with, Crepe myrtles are the worst in the industry. They probably, 98% of those things come buried four to six inches too deeply in the containers. And unless you pull all that soil back away from the trunk, down to where the roots, big roots actually start flaring out, your plant's always going to be a little bit stressed. Your aphids are going to be showing up. You're going to have powdery mildew issues on it. I'd almost bet you that if you would get out and expose the root flares on those crepe myrtles, your problems are going to be, go away by about 80%.
0: Well, that sounds pretty good. I mean, that's, that's easy
4: enough to do, too.
1: Well, it's not as easy as you think it's going to be because it's a little bit of work. You're going to find a lot of little, very fine, fibrous roots down there that you'll need to cut away. But the uh, if you've ever seen a really, I mean, we go to a gift market in Atlanta a couple of times a year. and My gosh, over there, you'll see these things. The root flare is just a work of art at the base of these big old massive crepe myrtles. But... Uh, Um, When you start seeing aphids, especially, it's telling you the trees are stressed and if it's not a matter of either too much or too little water, and I was kind of laughing because you were saying those horrible rains, those of us that ranch are saying those wonderful rains that we have last year, but in some places it was a little bit excessive. But get that root flare exposed, and I think you'll find that uh, most all the problems you've experienced with your crepe myrtles are going to totally go away. Your blooming will increase. The aphids won't be there. You'll have much less of the spotting on the leaves. And the other thing is if not not well I should say when, not if, but when we get back into more drier, more drought like things, be sure you're watering your crepe myrtles thoroughly and deeply. They will tolerate getting very dry, but if you want good growth and good blooms, they need that good thorough soaking at least every three or four weeks. And if Mother Nature doesn't do it, you need to be providing that to them. That will also make a difference in how much they continue blooming and uh, whether or not you get that bad leaf spot on them or not.
0: Well, that sounds good. I really appreciate the advice.
1: Hey, my pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning. You get out and have a good weekend. You too. Thanks, Mike. Bye. Bye. All right, well, those lines filled up quickly. We're going to talk to Tim and Morris and Yo and Tommy, and we start out up Bernie Way with Tim. Good morning, Tim. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Happy Saturday morning to you. (laughs) To you as
0: well, sir. Hey, Bob, I live here in uh, South Bernie, and I've got a bunch of oak trees. Mm-hmm. And, uh, from about waist height to head height and higher, I have all these little tiny twigs growing out of the side of these oak trees. I'm not sure what kind of oak trees they are, quite honestly. But, uh, anyways, I was hoping to be able to cut those all off, uh, because, you know, they cause a problem with getting poked in the eye and the head and all that. Is it okay to go ahead and cut those off? And then if I can, Uh, do I need to seal them with some kind of pruning seal or something?
1: Are these um, trees that you expect to grow up, you know, into big shade trees, these trees uh, that you're – and the reason I ask, they're probably live oaks. And sometimes, uh, well, frequently, when you have big old live oaks, you'll have a lot of what we call root sprouts come up. In the area around the big trees, or are these things that you think in long term are going to eventually make good shade trees? Or um, how how densely are they packed into your property?
0: Well, actually, Bob, they're they're totally mature trees. They're oh, okay. um but they like I said, a number of them, quite a few of them, have these little twigs just growing. Out. Yeah. I don't know if it was previous owners never took care of it or whatever. Yeah. But uh, anyways, I was hoping to do something, but yeah. I, I know the oak welt can be a problem. I well, don't want to do anything to mess it
1: up. You just uh, you take off all those little limbs that you like. Take them up close to the trunk. If you look carefully, you'll see a little narrow ring of cells between the main trunk of the tree. And uh then you'll have this little ring looks kind of like a collar, and then you'll have the limb sticking out. that's called the branch mm-hmm. collar, and you want to cut just on the outside of that because that's what's going to totally heal over the wound very quickly. Now it is important to seal every wound, even if these are very small limbs, if they're dead, you can just snap them off but if they uh if they have leaves that they're live tissue. Then you need to seal that wound just as you would on any larger limb that you cut. doesn't have to be pruning paint. It only has to stay sealed for 8 to 10 days. So it's the cheapest old latex paint or spray paint or whatever that you can find. You know, Just literally, I prune with a saw in one hand and a can of paint in the other hand in dealing with oh, live okay. oaks. But you're not going to hurt a thing, and you're going to make your... <laughs> going to make your life a lot easier, shall we say, by taking those off, and it's not going to hurt a thing in the world. So go right ahead and do it. This is a good time of year to do it.
0: All right, awesome. That's good. Can I ask you one more question? Of course. I uh, I also have fire ants like everybody else, and I was told that spraying uh, beneficial nematodes uh, in about March or April on the lawn would be a good idea, that it would uh, help to take care of those.
1: Well, you don't have to wait that long. Um, Beneficial nematodes are always a good idea, and March, April, we're probably starting to get concerned about uh, June bugs and the resulting grub worms, so I think that's a good idea. But I would be immediately, well, immediately after it dries off just a little bit, but there is a non-toxic product out there called Come and Get It, and uh it uh-huh. contains a uh something called spinosad, which is very deadly to the fire ants. It's uh it's a natural soil derivative from natural soil bacteria, so harmless to people and pets. But uh it is a bait that you can just scatter around. The ants will pick it up, take it back, feed the queen in the mounds. I find that probably nine out of ten mounds die out within a very short time after I put the come and get it out. Sometimes I have to go back and retreat. But um, you you don't want to stir the mounds up. You want the ants to continue life as usual. They will find the come and get it where you sprinkle it around and and then like I say they take it back and feed the queen and that's the end of the mound we're going to have a lot of fire ants this year because this much moisture they make hundreds of new queens and there will be new mounds popping up all over the place but if it were me and I fight some of the same thing I would put out the come and get it now and then in about March or April then think about treating with your beneficial nematodes because you'll be controlling a lot of other issues like fleas and uh, you know other other insect problems at the same time you're killing the uh um, the fire ants i see is that come and get is that like did you say it was a powder it's a granule it's a uh it's kind of like a i don't know whether it's a cornmeal or what all their base is but it's just it's a feed stuff but it's it's a consistency of uh coarse ground pepper you might say and, uh, but you can just – I just take it and just sling it out by hand. Uh, best to do it morning or evening. Best to do it when the soil is dry. So, man, it was foggy when I left Bernie at 4 o'clock this morning. So probably want to let things dry off a bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, it's about an acre. So uh, what if I put it in a drop – uh, well, was like Scott's drop feeder thing well, and spread it around. Well, the-
1: that's, that's more work than you need to do, and it's actually um, – I don't think it would work as well. It's not like fertilizer where you want to get it evenly over the whole yard because fire ants range all over the place. I mean, you'll find fire ants 20 feet away from their mound, so you can go through – And just just scattering it by hand, you don't have to cover the ground evenly with it. In fact, I would scatter more of it around in the area where you see more fire ants and uh, maybe not even put it out in the areas where you don't see. Now, let me tell you the, the one downside of this in that fire ants actually do something good, and that is they kill ticks. And, uh, Mm. I, so I don't, everybody I know that's really made a conscious effort to wipe out all the fire ants on their property have wound up with a tick problem and ticks carried lots of diseases and just, I, I'd rather put up with a few fire ants than I would, uh, than I would ticks So I kill them out of my immediate yard and I kill them out of my vegetable garden, but, uh, on the rest of my acreage, I pretty much leave them alone because I remember, what big problems we had with ticks in years past. And I hate to say it, but Lyme disease is becoming more prob- more of a problem, and uh, mm-hmm. there's several other tick diseases that our pets pick up. So think hard about whether you really want to do your whole acre or not. And um, yeah. if you don't drive into San Antonio, you'll probably find this at Hill Country African Violets over there. If you Are are you over toward Menger Springs or are you over on the other end of Bernie and on the south side?
0: yeah on the south side but i know where the african violet place is because i I was told that's where i can get the nematodes too
1: (laughs) yeah and uh they're 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 good folks over there but uh, um, lots of people carry it in san antonio but if you're like most of my friends in bernie they don't drive into san antonio unless they have to so uh, Uh, you'll find them out there but that that's going to be the I think a, a simpler, much much easier solution. And then, if you want to follow up uh, later with you nematodes, uh, they will take care of any fire ants you miss, and they'll take care of fleas and lots of other problems at the same time. All right, awesome. And those nematodes, do you put them in like a, a hose end sprayer? Thing? You can, yes, you can certainly use a hose end sprayer if you're going to cover a big area. All right, Bob. Bob. I- Thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Appreciate the call this morning, Tim. uh, You bet. You're welcome. I'll move on to Morris. Good morning, Morris.
4: Uh, Morning, Bob. Uh, While the dog and I were out walking this morning, my wife killed a black ant on the bedroom wall. Okay. I've worked in etymology, but I'm still not good at all with identifying ants. But it's about probably five or six millimeters long, three-eighths of an inch, something like that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, black, except the thorax has a sort of a, about a third, the anterior part of the thorax is a tan or brownish. Yeah,
1: yeah. You're probably looking at one of several species that are commonly called carpenter ants or wood ants. Um, they, they, they're not nearly as aggressive and they don't bite the way the fire ants do, but, uh, they, you know, they, as, as the name implies, they do eat wood and they can occasionally, you know, become an issue, uh, just eating their way. They're not as bad as termites, but they can certainly, uh, do some damage to wood. They're very easily controlled. I, I just make a solution of orange oil and water. And anywhere I've seen them, I spray that, and uh you know if you just if she saw one here, one there, I wouldn't be real concerned about it, but I might spray around the baseboards of the house at some point, I might spray around my window sills because you can sometimes get colonies of them uh uh and over many, many years' time, they could do significant damage, but they're they're not a real issue, and nothing more than orange oil and water is all you really need to control okay. them.
4: And just uh, just the outside, where outside the bedroom is a, 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 an area that's pretty heavily mulched and yep. not really grassy. Uh, would I be likely to find a place where they come from outside?
1: Um, if you, you'll sometimes find them where you've got dead wood in a tree you'll sometimes find uh, they they don't make an obvious ground colony the way harvester ants or fire ants do. So um, you might find a place around your eaves or maybe around baseboards or something like that, depending on construction of your home, where you see, may see more of them. Uh, but their colonies, so to speak, are usually inside some sort of dead wood. Um, but uh, again, make about a oh, couple of tablespoons of or up to a couple of ounces, if you're not spraying on plants, of orange oil, uh, you know, in a gallon of water, or put a, maybe put a tablespoon or two, just a little quart sprayer, spray around anywhere you've seen them. They're very, very, it's very, very effective in killing them. I Had a friend that uh, had them in the wooden shutters on her home. I told her about using the orange oil, and uh, she had a builder friend came over later and said, "Oh, you better not. Uh, you better call an exterminator." Which she did. The exterminator came out, took the shutters off, and said, I don't know what you did, lady, but you killed all the ants. You don't need me. So uh, they are relatively simple to get, get take care of, but they are certainly very common. And uh, every home, every yard, every wooden fence, you're going to have a few of them around.
4: Okay, well, I'll, I won't worry about it, but I'll I'll just keep an eye out for them. You do it. You call anytime I can help. All right, thanks.
1: Thank you, Morris. Appreciate the call, right. and Bye. goodbye. Right now, back to the phone lines. Yo is first. Good morning, yo. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. For you. I had a question for you. Listen, I had a. We planted this
6: grass about eight years ago. We have done nothing to it. Okay. Uh, in the last couple of years, it seems like it's not getting green, green. Uh, my wife bought some of that fertilizer. Like she just sprayed it over in the grass. Uh huh. But we didn't. We didn't put no dirt, no manure on top of it. Uh, is there anything that we can do so we can get this grass back to life again? after
1: As far as good fertilizer and greening it up, there are some liquid fertilizers, but I have to say on grass, I like the granular products. Um, You know, many, uh, most nurseries probably loan you a spreader. We loan out spreaders at no charge, but there are several good organic products out there. Uh, Medina makes one they call Growing Green. Uh, Nature's Creation makes one they call Premium Lawn Food. Uh, the Espoma folks make one they call Plant Tone. The uh, Meister people people, uh, they have one they call um, Texas Tea. But just any good organic fertilizer. But if you look for one of the ones that says it has extra iron added to it, uh, like the Medina does, uh, that will be what is going to get your grass healthier and darker green more quickly than anything else. Now, you could have other issues going on, but... Uh, I'd recommend just once or twice a year put that out, and uh, that's probably all you need. If you're on real thin soil, if you have other issues, you know, a little bit of compost is a help, but it's also a lot of work. But I'd I'd start with just a good application of granular fertilizer, and uh, just any of the good organic brands will go a long way toward uh, getting your grass a darker green and a much healthier grass.
6: Judge, well, I, I just I don't know much about grass, and uh, I've been looking at Home Depot and Lowe's. Stuff and like it's that not the place
1: there. to look. No, don't so don't buy their not. products. They're they're using okay. synthetic chemicals many times with poisons in them that actually do more damage to the soil and the life in the soil. Um, I, there's some places around where even H-E-B has some of the growing green. I know it's not real common, gotcha. but uh, any good nursery, plus I'll pretty much promise you it's going to be less expensive and uh, not nearly as uh, uh, chemical smelly as what you see at, at Home Depot and places yes. like that. But now, any every good nursery around carries Medina, and many of them carry uh, the Nature's Creation, some of the other brands as well, and it's cool. uh, not toxic to you or your pets or your kids or grandkids. So that's the way I go. Gotcha.
6: Okay, well, he, I, I live up at North, uh, 281 across the Blanco, and yeah. there is just these small little places where I can get better. Uh, yeah, you've
1: got a Rainbow there, Gardens like out it. there. You've got a Rainbow Gardens out there that's pretty yes. close to you. And yes. uh, if you want to come down 281 just inside 410, we're on Sunset Road, Shades of Green. We keep it. Uh, if you're ever over on the oh, east side it's of town. just is that I'm, the closest place for me to go to your place? Well probably place. probably Rainbow Gardens is a little closer to you. They're on Thousand Oaks, uh out there not too far away from you, but we're only about ten minutes away from you. If you want to come see us oh, sometime. I do not I don't mind
6: if I had a, a a good stuff. Well where you guys are pretty much right there on Thousand Oaks. Um,
1: a, yeah, they're they're just a little ways east of two eighty one on Thousand Oaks. And uh they're they're called uh, Rainbow Gardens and um um, they will sure I'm saying east I think it's east but uh, yeah on Thousand Oaks uh, that's uh, yeah, Thousand Oaks
6: runs just east yeah, from yeah. 281 they yeah.
1: would be there or if you just hop on 281 come down to Sunset Road take that exit and two blocks to the left that's where you find us so any of us will have good fertilizer and look forward to helping you
6: okay another question I have for you real quick I had a, the last batch range that we had It. this is a live oak tree that's a mm-hmm. pretty big size you know uh, probably like I don't know, maybe four feet round,
1: okay, dunk.
6: but it's not in a nice level area, and there's big range that it can mean kind of uncover the roots pretty much like three inches,
1: mm-hmm.
6: and I'm just concerned about maybe they'll kill the tree no,
1: no no, 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 that's perfectly normal. a big tree like that, the roots are getting bigger in diameter, and they just poke up through on the surface of the ground. Normally, it's not a problem to the tree at all. Just be careful you don't trip on them or hit them with your lawnmower, but your tree's doing just fine. It would be much happier if you leave those roots exposed.
6: I uh, appreciate that because I was concerned a big time. Actually, I got a, I heard a guy. I said, well, you need to do a rock I mean, uh, like no. around and do me a uh, you know a rock wall around. Oh,
1: no, like no, no. no. That would be a lot worse and a lot more expensive. You leave that tree growing the way it's been growing for 100 years and stop worrying about it.
6: Perfect. I really appreciate that, Bob. I really gonna go and then look at that because I mean, like last year, last yeah. two, three years, we've been trying to do this grass growing <laughs> green. And,
1: well, and you get place, so you now. get some good organic fertilizer, and things are gonna get better immediately. Yo, hey, I appreciate it. Let me get Tommy in here before the end of the hour. Good morning, Tommy. Hi. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh, my question is: I have
0: a couple of lots on the east side of San Antonio that. I'm trying to get under control before everything grows wildly again. (laughs)
1: And I
0: had uh, a bunch of uh, various species of trees that came up. Uh huh. Uh, None of them live oak or just what I'm going to call trash trees. Right. I've cut them all close to the ground. Mm -hmm. And I think I've heard you talk about a mixture of molasses and diesel or something. Yep. to kill kill them. Yep. Can you go over that for me
1: please? Well, it's just a 50-50 mix. It's uh it's going to kill the vegetation all around. I don't recommend it in uh, you know, in the yards, but people in rural areas or where you've just got a lot that you have got a lot of this t- stuff coming back, uh, just mix it in a watering can when you cut something off at ground level, just pour uh if it's small stuff, a cup or two, if it's a bigger something that you had to go after a chainsaw with you probably use a little bit more it's not organic but the the diesel will kill the molasses will clean up um the the diesel and it's um it again it's not the greatest thing in the world but it's sure better than remedy and some of these brush killers that your farm and ranch stores want to sell you but uh yeah if you're just looking to kill it out that's cut it off and just douse the uh the, the stump with that, you're just soaking it around the area, the top of the 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 of of where you've cut it off, and that will kill it pretty effectively. Repeated shredding will also kill it, and uh, if you're going to be in there, you know, shredding it to keep down the weeds and other things, you probably don't need to go to that much trouble. Just, you know, most of these trash trees, just shred them off a few times and they will totally die out. But if you've got an area that is a real problem and you're not right up on the property line against your neighbors, that's... Uh, diesel molasses is the other way to go after it
4: okay and a 50 50 50 50 mix okay
0: and the best place to buy that type of molasses is uh
1: farm and ranch store or any good nursery is okay. just it's cheap is better